Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Adrian Clark, the tactical analyst, and Richard Amofa of The Athletic. First day at a new school. Do you remember that? I do just. A new uniform, new faces, new names, and a few nerves. You're stepping out into the great unknown. Spare a thought, then, for Stephen Gerrard, Dean Smith, and Eddie Howe who resume their respective careers at Villa, Norwich and Newcastle this weekend. Antonio Conte is also pretty much starting from scratch at Spurs. Judgments will be instant and probably unfair. But Adrian, out of those new boys, which one has the best chance of success? My instant thought is Steven Gerrard because he doesn't inherit as many problems as as the other guys. Obviously, Dean Smith at Norwich has a lot of work to do to rediscover some kind of winning mentality at Carrow Road. Eddie Howe is under massive pressure. So much work to do with that Newcastle squad. A lot will depend on on what he's able to do in January. And, and, And there's a lot of competition for Conte to get Spurs into the top four. So I think for, for Gerard, what, what is success? Probably top half finish, clear sign of progress tactically for the team, tightening up at the back. Obviously, they've been a bit leaky this season. And I think, I think by the end of this season, if Villa fans feel more optimistic that they might be able to qualify for Europe next season under Steven Gerrard, that will be regarded as as fairly successful. So, And I do think he's got a really solid group of players to work with and, and, and a good CV from his time in Scotland. So, so Gerard would get my, my sort of tip, I suppose, to be the most successful of those guys. But look, this is football. <laughs> we just don't know, do we? Yeah, I, you know, I take that point. There seems to be very little intrinsically wrong at Villa. And, you know, as you said, the, the, the squad has talent. So I suppose when he talks about risk or enjoying risk, Richard, in football terms, it's pretty negligible, isn't it? Do you think he'd accomplished everything he could in Scotland? And, you know, is this the right job at the right time? 
I think with regards to Scotland, I think the key thing was, was was to win that league. I mean, of course, you know, you can win the domestic cups and that's all well and good, but stopping Celtic getting a 10 was imperative and he was under huge pressure to do that. So to go and win the league, you know, unbeaten, you know, 13 goals conceded in a whole campaign, you know, you, you can really say that, you know, he, he, he did a fantastic job there. And and also as well, I guess in Europe, you know, in the, the Europa League campaigns were, were decent as well, and they they did show signs of fantastic progression and you know real solidarity in in there. So I think winning the league was the key for them, and it was just the case, I guess, for Rangers fans of whether they could build on that under Gerard. But I guess you know, you so you mentioned risk. If he was to stay at Rangers arguably would have been a bigger risk no Champions League this season so low on investment we know Gerard wasn't too pleased with that they only spent that 40 million in, in three years or so maybe a few players could be retiring at the end of the season number of players coming to the end of their contracts as well so when you're looking at how they move forward probably would have been a much bigger task to, to kind of build on that massive success of winning the league this season so it was interesting when Conor Goldson called it the last dance to talk about Michael Jordan's uh, documentary last season and when you kind of see it all on paper it does it does kind of make make sense so I think the timing was fantastic for, for Joe to move on and, and progress his career in management. Mm. What about his personality his force of personality Adrian his assistant Michael Beale talks about the clarity of his communication and his ability to inspire I suppose a lot of that is down to his achievements as a player more than anything else. And I'm interested also in, in Beale's role. You know, he's a bit of a grey beard. He's a bit more experienced than, than Gerard. Does a young manager need someone like him around him? I think it all depends on the circumstance. First of all, Gerard has gravitas, doesn't he? He has a an aura about him, a little bit like Patrick Vieira, I would say. I think these are two guys, two two bona fide Premier League legends that that that, that look like managers, talk like managers, behave like managers, and and you know the, the evidence suggests they know know what they're doing as well. I, I, I don't think I don't think what you did as a player carries that much weight when you become a gaffer because the the bottom line is players will find you out very very easily if you do not know what you're talking about or you're a poor communicator or you you're giving out conflicting messages you don't inspire trust they won't care whether you've got 100 caps or or never played the game they just won't have you so so yeah i i think he's he's earned respect as a, as a manager in his own right one of the things i really respect and admire about gerard as a coach is that he delegates. He's gone on record and said that, that Michael Beale is much better than he is on the grass. He puts on better... He, he knows how to put on a great session, how to keep the players interested, how to, to provide great energy and, and, and to just keep them guessing. And as a manager, you've got so many other things going on in your head, haven't you, I think, in mm. terms of like plotting strategies and tactics and dealing with play. I think for Stephen, it's... It's more about man management and, and, and pressing the right buttons with individuals. He's leaving the sort of technical side of coaching to Beal and to the guy, I think his name's Coleshaw, the, the set-piece coach, who you look at just look at Rangers' record from set-pieces in Scotland. It is unbelievable. So he's got a specialist set-piece coach as well that, that should improve them in, in that department. So now for me, he's, cut, he's brought a good team with him, knows what he's doing. 
Yeah, but but as we all know, those first few weeks in the job are always the most important. So the messages he's conveying to the players right in the here and now, that, that they're vital. If he gets it right, it, it it will bode well. But if he's getting it wrong behind the scenes right now, you know, it, it could all fall apart quite quickly. But I don't think that will. I don't think that will happen. No, I suppose all our eyes, Rich, are going to be on Anfield when he goes there on December the 11th. If you look at his first six games, begins at Brighton, Palace away, then Leicester and Manchester City at home, then Norwich away. What do you think would be a an acceptable return from those first six games? For me, I think, you know, if they can get you know, five to eight points, I think I think they'll be pleased. I think you look at Brighton's games up for grabs, you know, OK, Brighton have done well this season, but a game that Villa would probably expect to win. Palace, again, good form. You'd expect Villa to beat them as well. I think Leicester will be a tough game, but again, all, all winnable fixtures, really. Of course, Man City will be tough and they would expect to beat Norwich. So I think if they were to get a good return, as I say, maybe, as I say, five to eight points, maybe if they can hit double figures, it's a really good basis to, to, to work on. You know, it's, it's a... It's a Obviously, there's no nice run of fixtures in the Premier League, of course. But if you're looking for, especially the, the first three, they, they would back themselves to, to win those games. And it will be a great launch pad to, to, to start from. Hmm. What about the nature of his inheritance? We talked about it a little bit earlier, Aidan. You, you were mentioning man management there. Thought what was really striking in the in the, in the sort of the, the final weeks of Dean Smith's season was how he dropped. Tyrone Mings is a big personality. You know, got his first England goal this week. He seems to be a key, a key sort of link within that dressing room. Does he need to get him back on side? Yeah. Look, first and foremost, he deserved to be dropped. Tyrone Mings. He was in shocking form, so I wouldn't criticise Dean Smith for that. But yeah, it's a bold move, definitely. And yeah, I'm sure Gerard will try and get him on side. Yeah, getting the senior guys on. The, the leaders within the dressing room. You need them to be your allies within the dressing room. But in the same breath, everyone starts with a clean slate, don't they? And if Steven Gerrard doesn't like what he's seeing from, from Tyrone Mings, I would expect him to be left out of the team. I, I would. I just think that you have to be... You have to lay down strong markers, don't you? And Gerrard, by all accounts, sets really high standards at training, in and around the, the building. He demands that the players are really switched on. And if he sees people that aren't, I think he'll make tough decisions. What he needs to do is get players back in form. Like Leon Bailey, bad form. Looks awful in the last game. Ings and Watkins haven't really caught fire. Yeah, El Ghazi looks a shadow of the player that, that he was last season. Buendia, decent in bits, but but not consistent. So, and in midfield, you know, the likes of Douglas Louise and... And John McGinn needs to get them going. And I haven't even talked about the defence or the goalkeeper. So, so yeah, he needs to get the players in, in form. He does have some good kids coming through, which would be interesting. Villa's academy is really respected. <laughs> and they need it to be good because of the last match, the whole bench, I think, was full of full of kids. But, but on that, very quickly, Gerard has worked in academies, obviously at Liverpool. But Rangers, he wasn't really known for that. I don't know if it's because there just weren't the, the kids coming through, but I looked at the players he's used this season at Rangers, 26 players. Only two of them were under 22. 
a 21-year-old and a 20-year-old. So he is not the type of manager until this point that plays kids. So it'll be interesting to see what happens moving forward. Yeah, well, I suppose you know it, it depends on the on the kid himself, exactly. doesn't it? Because yeah. you, you you look at someone like you know Jacob Ramsey, who you know did did do well for the under twenty one England under twenty ones in the week. Obvious promise there, but as you say, there is a. a I think it's probably more of a, a medium term sort of project, isn't it? You know, let's let's ultimately incorporate one or two members of the new generation who are coming up through that academy because the eighteens and, and especially at the moment are doing really well. Rich, I just want to dwell a little bit on on Brighton, on the wider lessons of their success, which is actually, you know, also being replicated in the women's game. This game on Saturday marks Graham Potter's one hundredth game in charge. Marks out of ten. <laughs> you know, for me, I I would say a solid eight. I think what what you want to see is is constant progression, and you know, if you look at the the stats from when he joined the club to now, you know, they're in the top 10 for passes, tackles won, chances created. And of course, we all know about the famous XG, as we know from last season, of course. But if, even that, I mean, they seem to be rectifying that and they seem to be, you know, more decisive in games. And I think if as a, as a, as a supporter, you're looking at style of play, you're looking at whole ethos in and around the squad, it's a club that really seems to be going places. And as, as you mentioned, you know, the, the, the women's side as well, obviously great investment from, from the owners to, to the new training facility and, and things like that, with that whole kind of one club ethos that we're seeing at like Chelsea, City and even Arsenal, that the whole club seems to be going in the right direction. And obviously Graham Potter, 100 games, it, especially in this in this climate where, where managers get sacked after, you know, a, a poor run of form, it, it goes to show that having that longevity and that long-term planning and thinking, it, it, it does, it does bode well. And they've done well to, to keep hold of him so far. But I think, you know, if he progresses, if, if he can get Bryson to the top 10 this season, I think a lot of the, the bigger clubs might come sniffing around because, as you say, their style of play, that, that he, he's imparted on this squad is, is brilliant and, you know, a, a proven track record of making players better. And they are really pleased on the eye. I'd give him a nine. I would. <laughs> I, think Rich, I think eight is always conservative. How, how much better could he have done, really, over this 100-game period? He's, he's, he's improved the style, made radical changes, improved individuals, got better results, made them incredibly hard to score against. Incredibly hard to beat. You know, they don't lose many games, do they, Brighton? So, yeah, I just think he's all he needs is is better players. I think you, you give any manager in the Premier League that squad of players that he got that he inherited at Brighton. I don't know if they would be in a better place now than than, than where they are under him. I just think he's he's almost maxed out what he could could achieve in that in that period. I think it's been really impressive. Mm. You know, you talked about poor runs of form costing people jobs, Richard. You know, with, with Dean Smith, five defeats on the bounce, and that was it at, at Villa. But he's back in football you know, in a little over a week uh, at, at Norwich. Again, you know, we talked about Stephen Gerrard's fit at Villa. I think this this is a really good fit as well, isn't it? Yes, I, I agree. I, I think so. Similar to what I was talking about with, with Potter as well, in terms of Smith's track record for improving players. You know, if you look at Norwich's base, I mean, the, the players 
you know, they're, 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 not, they're not bad players, but maybe some fine tunings here and there. And I think Dean Smith is, is the best person to, to, to do that. You know, we saw that at, at Villa, as I say, a number of players improved under his watch and they did have a really good brand of football there. And it, it, of course, bringing that to Norwich will be a tough ask because of where they are in the table. But again, if we're looking long term, especially with him and, and, and obviously Craig Shakespeare with him as well, to really impart their ethos and, uh, you know, playing style on the squad. I think it's a good fit. Even if they do go down, you'd expect them to come back up. And <laughs> again, will they give it a better crack in the Premier League the next time round? If they have Smith at the helm, I, I do think so. Mm. Well, he's a club builder, isn't he? He's an innovator. He's a developer, as Richard said there. Also, he seems comfortable working with a sporting director because at Norwich, Stu Webber basically sets the tone of the club, doesn't he? He does, yeah. He's a really important figure at Carrow Road. But he's a good... I think he's just a good, solid bloke, Dean Smith. I think he can get on with with most people. I don't think he has a, a big ego. I think he also... I, one of his greatest achievements that probably isn't spoken about that often is his handling of Jack Grealish. He... Jack was a bit of a tearaway, wasn't he? And he, his career was in danger of you know, going off the rails, really. He looked like he was not going to fulfil his potential. But he gave him the armband, made him the main man, gave him responsibility, and he grew up. And And I think that that, that is really impressive from, from Dean Smith. I, re- I really do. And So I just look at what he's inheriting at Norwich. You look at Gilmore and Campwell, two players that I think he will definitely bring back into the first 11 and, and look after them, make them have responsibility, make them feel big, you know, real part of it. And and in terms of the Weber thing, I, they've got a bit of history. I think they, they knew each other from a, an interview back in the day at Huddersfield. And yeah, I, I don't, I don't see Dean Smith as the type of manager that, that is going to kick off too much. I really don't, but, but Norwich aren't the type of club either that don't want that nice working cohesive relationship with the man in charge. That's why it works so well for so long with Daniel Farker. So, yeah, I think it's a really good fit. I do. He's got his work cut out, but I do rate him. Mm, I, yeah, I'd I amplify what you just said there, Aid, about him as a person, not just as a football man. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I can remember being hugely impressed by his compassion towards his friend, Martin Ling, former Orient manager, who was, you know, suffering badly, very um, difficult mental health issues, suicidal. And I remember him visiting Martin and basically he found him almost cowering in his room, you know, afraid to face the world and uh, at a, a clinic that he was attending. And he drew the curtains made sure that he went for a walk with him. And the thing that sticks with me on that, he was walking outside the, the the clinic complex and he made a point of making sure that he stood on the curb just in case Martin was going to succumb to any terrible dark urges and throw himself in, into, in, into the course of the traffic. And that, to me, speaks of a really, really good man and obviously a fantastic friend. But 
And I, I do think sometimes in football, we actually just look at the football stuff. But actually, as a man, you know, you can't get much better than Dean Smith. And, and that's why that's why a lot of people will be wishing him well, I think. Yeah, he's so popular, so popular in the game. And, and yeah, I just think he's a solid, solid guy. And the the Norwich players will, will like working with him. And that, that is half the battle. And, and then if, if you know what you're talking about football-wise, and we know that he does... Then yeah, then I think it's going to go okay. Football's very up and down. You can't control everything, but they've got they've got a good person there, no doubt about it. That's a really good story. Mm. I suppose let's look further north. Eddie Howe begins his Newcastle career at uh, St James's Park against Brentford. Funnily enough, uh, Dean Smith's another of Dean Smith's former clubs. Is he a bit fortunate that Brentford are having a bit of a, a blip, uh, Richard? I think so. I think if there was uh, any game that he would want to start his tenure, then I think Brentford would be only just because of their their recent kind of slip. I mean, they've been unlucky. I mean, they've Brentford have had a lot of injuries to to key players, which has kind of disjointed them a bit. But of course, with the international break, they've had a chance to to regroup, and you know they would hope to rebuild momentum again. But I mean, Eddie, Eddie Howe, of the three managers that we spoke about at the start, I'd I'd think he's probably got the the toughest job. I mean, obviously Newcastle are are really <laughs> in the thick of it. To, to, to be polite, of course, you know the investment will, will be key in January. Will be will be key, but you know it's all about getting off to a good start and building on that momentum. If you can do that against Brentford, that would be fantastic. But then it's is is taking it into, you know, if we can get a solid base into the Christmas period and into January, hopefully get some new signings in. Then there's a bit a uh, base to build on, but. Um, it looks it looks a huge task, and I'm struggling to see if they can get out of it. To be fair, mm, you know they've been pretty dour to say the least in the last few months. Aid tactically, do you think Eddie Howe will be a, a breath of fresh air? And if so, does he have the players to thrive in in his favoured style? Well, he's got Wilson, Sam Maximan, and Joe Willock, who are a good attacking players so so that's not a bad basis probably wants a few more it's about changing the mindset isn't it and changing habits we i don't think we'll see much of the 532 that we saw or the 541 that we saw under Graham Jones It'd be back to a back four on the on the mo- most occasions i'd imagine 4231 433 and yeah they'll they'll play much more much bolder football won't they, under Eddie Howe. He'll give them more confidence to receive passes, to take players on. It's really, one thing that I've always loved about Eddie Howe teams is the set pieces. He's always got something new up his sleeve, really inventive, clearly thinks about it. So loads. I think the fans will like it. I think that the players will enjoy it, but he will need better players moving forwards and he'll definitely need a bet, better defensive personnel because uh, that, that Newcastle rearguard is... Is terrible, <laughs> and and his record his record isn't good in that department, is it? It's, Bournemouth never conceded less than sixty sixty goals per season, so that that is a concern. They will be more front foot, but will they leave that door open a lot? And and the key is because I think he really will want to be bold in, in the way that they play to win over the public. What he needs is quicker, better defenders that can bail them out when when opposition teams come at them on the break, and he, he won't have that until you know late January at the earliest, I guess. 
So much swirling around that club politically as well, isn't there, Rich? You know, are there any warning signs in his failure of that brief spell that he had at Burnley? And do you think he's just basic? Has he got a big enough personality for a big club? I mean, it's a tough, it's a tough one, really, because I guess with Burnley, you know, that that was where you're thinking, okay, now it's time to take your career to the to the next step, and. You know, things didn't work out. You know, there were personal issues. I think his wife was homesick, and I think he struggled up there. But you know, that that, that was a while ago now, and you like to think he's uh, he's built on his time in the Premier League. Of course, the thing kind of thrown at him is obviously Bournemouth being a kind of comfort zone. So to go from Bournemouth to then being out of out of the game for a while to then into Newcastle, which I know we talk about big clubs in a cliche way, but I mean that is that is a massive club with a big fan base. The pressure will be on him. Instantly, I, mean, I, I think at his press conference he said he said all the right things, things which you'd expect, and things which would give the fans optimism. But um, as you say, I think the key for him is to really hit the ground running. I think if they struggle in their first couple of games, then the pressure will be on. Especially if you're looking at their the, the recruitment process and how you know Emery was you could say the first choice and he didn't get it. Then it went to Howard, and you're thinking, okay, where's the strategy here? Where's the club going? So yeah, I think the first couple of weeks for um, Eddie Howe will be vital. But as you say, he's got, he's got good attacking players to, to help bail him out. But I, I do worry about that defence, as I said, because, you know, under Bruce, uh, and uh, you know, they, they were so conservative and they were still so leaky. So if you're looking at you know, Newcastle looking to be on the front foot this time round, it only leaves more gaps at the back. And the defence, sadly, just isn't good enough to cope with that exposure. Yeah, I, I think he has got the right personality for it. I think he can handle himself well in the media and, and with players. The one thing I wanted to bring up was his dedication at Bournemouth. He was absolutely obsessed about the job and he was first in, last out. Just never stopped thinking about it, I don't think. And he probably needed that breather from the game. And I don't know what the situation is with his family, but... I imagine if he's got young children they've stayed at home stayed where they were and that he'll maybe move up to the northeast Jason Tindall will probably be there and and basically four or five days a week they will be totally immersed in that in that job and having no distractions at home so to speak he'll really throw himself into it 24-7 and then obviously probably fly back to the south coast to have a bit of family time whenever he can that might actually help him because there's so much to do at Newcastle, I think he, and and he only knows one way of working, and that is, you know, pedal to the metal. So, um, so yeah, I wish him the best of luck. I, I think he's a, a a good person and a good manager, and I hope he succeeds. But it's a tough gig. Yeah, I can speak from personal experience of his uh, his work ethic. I can remember going to interview him at Bournemouth, and I drove into the car park at half past six in the morning. And there was one other car in the car park and it was his and he'd been at the club and, you know, he came, he actually literally came down and opened the place up and he'd been in his office going through tapes or going through his, his um, DVDs. And yeah, so if he does fail, and I hope he doesn't, but if he does fail, it won't be because of lack of preparation or commitment. Rich, you know, we've talked about those three appointments, all British coaches, does that balance the argument that British coaches are overlooked? 
<laughs> Absolutely. I think if this was what, three, four, five years ago, and you know, let's say there were other managerial appointments instead of the three we've spoken about, then you know you'd have the old adages, you know, oh, if he was, if his name was Eduardo Howo or Dino Smithini, etc., you know, <laughs> they'd have got the job. So I think it's, it's good that uh, we are seeing more English managers, you know, at, at the top level, and I think it's is based on merit as well. It's not just oh, let's just get one in for the sake of it. It's about trying to build that club ethos, trying to impart their philosophies on their sides. And I think when you're looking at the Premier League as a whole, I think you've got six English managers now, eight British overall. So, yeah, I, I think that argument is uh, it has been put to bed. And I think what we, what's good as well is that we're seeing a, a, a brand of younger coaches, fresh thinking, great ideas, you know, coaches who've been educated, elsewhere willing to learn willing to get advice from more experienced managers or managers abroad as well and it's, it's great to see it's great to see i guess you know back in the day you'd have the managerial merry go round in inverted commas you know with, with the usual managers on there but as i say this kind of fresh new you know new lease of life i think is really good to see the only thing i would say is um a name that was linked to a number of these jobs and is still out of one is, is frank lampard and you know what does the future hold for him Obviously, talented manager, of course, and I'm sure his time will come again. But uh, yeah, I think the next few months for him will be will be really interesting. Yeah, it's it's a case of it's a classic case of of timing, isn't it? You know, managers have to time their leap to get onto the onto the merry-go-round or get back onto it anyway. You know, you look at Eddie Howe; he he probably waited. He was probably getting towards the end where he was thinking, mm, "Am I going to get back in here?" Antonio Conte, aid. The classic mercenary, isn't he? Really, and also I, I know, you know, with 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 a wry smile that he's the latest catch-up warrior. You know, it's it basically you know new managers coming in, they complain about fitness levels straight away. That's straight out of the playbook, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's standard. In this particular case, from the outside looking in, Spurs didn't look that fit to me. I have to say, I thought that they were tying up in games in the second half. They didn't have that explosiveness that they've had in the past. So I actually feel on this occasion he's got a point. But yeah, it is standard for a new manager to come in and do that. And the whole ban and catch up nonsense, yeah, it's part of the part part of the, the situation, isn't it? He's a gun for hire. He is gonna be there three years max, I'd say, two to three years would be, be the longest I'd expect him to be there and he'll work them to the bone. And he, and I think he will improve them. He's an elite head coach, Antonio Conte. It's a case of who wants to be with me while I'm here. And I think uh, yeah, the fringe guys like Deli Alley and, and Harry Winks, they've got an opportunity to, to embrace it and for him to improve them and get their careers back on track. But if he senses from either of those guys or anyone else, actually, that, that they're, they're not up for it, that they don't want to work hard, that they don't want to listen to him, he'll get rid of them straight away. He'll be ruthless. So, um, yeah, it's yeah interesting times ahead for Spurs, but they've got themselves a, a very good coach. I don't think we can deny that at all. But there are holes in the team that, that need filling, not least having a progressive passer in central midfield. Someone that can receive the ball and move it quickly with quality to Son, to Harry Kane, Lucas Moura. 
that they miss that badly. And because they haven't got that player, the speed of their attacks is slowed down. And, and, and that's critical, I think, for Spurs. Mm. Yeah, we know the characteristics of his teams, don't we, Rich? You know, discipline, work ethic, especially out of possession. That might actually come, as I hinted there, as a bit of a surprise to some in that Spurs squad. They've got Leeds at home on Sunday. Leeds have been struggling this season. Is it the perfect launch pad for the Conte era? Yeah, I mean, I guess, of course, Leeds haven't had the, the greatest start to the season, but, I mean, they're always... It's always going to be a tough game against them. You know what you're going to get from them now. Um, so, yeah, again, has to get off to a good start. Has to. And, again, where the Spurs fans are concerned as well is not just winning, but but playing well. And I think as they, they made a good point about, you know, that lack of progressive passing from midfield and not really being a launch pad for, for the way they play. So if, if Conte can, can, can instil that and get the best out of, you know, the... the Decent players that they've got there, you know, the likes of you know, Ndombele, the likes of you know Oliver Skip and and, and players like that. If, if if they can if they can if he can get the best out of them, I should say, then th- th- there is some excitement there. Of course, you've got Son, you've got Kane, of course, you know, really get the best, really get him back to back to his best form. So many questions there, but Conte is definitely the man to do that. It's just a case of how quickly can he can he get things going. How well can he get those players, you know, back in tune? Four of the bottom five eight have changed their managers this season. Burnley are the exception. You know, Sean Dyche has been there for nine years, which is the longest tenure in the Premier League. They're at home to Palace on Saturday. Another of the clubs, funny enough, that he was linked to, but he didn't join. Just want to dwell on actually the the job that the area is doing at at Palace. In a way, is Connor Gallagher, who you know, new senior England cap. Is he a bit of a poster boy for that regime? Well, he's becoming that, isn't he? Because he's identified him as somebody that he wants to build the team around and he's delivered, looks a player. He's a full international now. I've seen a lot of him in the in the EFL in recent seasons, Conor Gallagher, and he's always been a good all-round player. Puts his foot in, works hard, breaks forward, scores goals and... Not everyone can sort of translate that to the Premier League, but and he didn't really do much at, at West Brom. But but yeah, he's on he's on fire. I, I just think he's sort of got to that age where he's comfortable in himself now, and he looks a looks a proper Premier League player. Like, and having a go, having a midfield player that scores goals is so vital. It takes so much pressure off of those strikers, doesn't it? So so yeah, it, it, very good of Vieira, I think to. To, to identify him, to use him, to trust him, and and he's repaying him. I, I, I think Vieira is having a great season so far. I know it's early days, but from a tactical point of view, they've had really hard fixtures and they've not been outplayed Palace. They've been really competitive in almost every match that they've they've been involved in. Obviously, famously won at, at City, should have beaten Arsenal. They've, I think he's having a, having a blinding campaign. Vieira. I bumped into Sean Derry not that long ago at Arsenal at, at a game and he's the assistant to Vieira or one of his assistants and I sort of said look what's he like because obviously I played with him what's he like as a manager and he goes Clarky he said he is good let me tell you I'm, I'm not just saying it he knows what he's doing um, very impressive so if Sean said that to me that's good that's good enough you know I, I, he's, he's a 
a bright football coach himself, Sean Derry. So, um, so yeah, I, I think the future for Palace is good and, uh, and for Vieira too. It's interesting, sorry, just a um, thing that you mentioned Burnley at the start of that, just because they're in a similar position to what Palace were at the end of last season where they potentially have 10 players out of contracts and that whole is that kind of new rebuild and almost changing the brand because you, know, you looked at Palace before under Hodgson, very solid but but a bit stale. And you know you look at Burnley now, of course very solid, but a bit stale. You know a lot of players have, you know you could probably reel off their their first eleven. They've had a very you know similar side for the last three to four years. So you know there is a, a potential for a big rebuild there. You know they've already started I guess with the likes of bringing in Maxwell Cornet you know different kind of player that to what they would normally purchase I guess Nathan Collins as well and obviously with the new ownership they want to do things slightly differently so I think looking at Palace and how they've managed that transition really well I think that's something that Burnley can can really use as a kind of blueprint for for their future success as well. Mm. Now West Ham they resume at Wolves. We've had Mikhail Antonio excelling for Jamaica in the break. Declan Rice, his withdrawal from the England squad, was that a blessing in disguise, do you think? Well, yeah, provided his, his injury is OK and, and that yeah, he's, he's fit to resume, then yeah, definitely. I think any players that withdraw from international duty and are then fit, fit and available for the next game, uh, it, it's a blessing in disguise that they weren't involved. England didn't need him, did they, in the game against San Marino? So not not an issue there. Nah, look, what's not to like about West Ham at the moment? I think it's all going swimmingly, isn't it? Antonio, such a charismatic personality at the top end of the pitch. You know, it just carries, carries their attack, doesn't he? And Declan Rice is the best central midfielder in the Premier League this season. I don't think you can argue against that. I think he's the main man. And and all around him, players are, are improving, aren't they? And having great campaigns. Um, so yeah, look, this is a tough game for Wolves, I think this, but they they'll attack it. But yeah, West Ham are, are flying, aren't they? It's um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm pleased for them. Mm. Yeah, one of the other leading lights this season has been Jared Bowen, who's you know, apparently attracting Liverpool's attention. Liverpool, Rich, they get back into it at home to Arsenal. Is this game going to be a mood setter for both clubs? I, I I think so. I think, you know, resuming after the international break and, and getting back to, to good form is, is really key. You know, Arsenal went into the international break, for example, really well and really impressive. And, and, and Liverpool, of course, obviously, minor blip with, with Brighton, but, of course, the juggernaut seems to be, seems to be going on. So, I think... If I was looking at this route, this fixture a few weeks ago, you'd say Liverpool were nailed on. But I think now, of course, they've got their firepower, of course, but the way Arsenal have played and have really solidified themselves and got themselves into a good run of form themselves, I think it'll be a closer game than what many would suspect. And I think it'll be a good game as well. I think it'll be end-to-end, and I think both sides will, will, will provide threats, especially on a counter-attack. So I think it's a great game in prospect there. Yeah, you mentioned momentum. Mikel Arteta's got it, hasn't he, at the moment, Aid? What about Emil Smith-Rowe? Maturing as a player and a person? Obviously, got his first England senior goal at the week. Yeah, so pleased for Emil Smith-Rowe. Yeah, he's come of age, no doubt about it. He, 
there are lots of reasons why I really like him as a player. Not least, he's a scrapper. He's a fighter. He, he will roll up his sleeves and dig in and graft for the team. And that is such an important quality, I think, for Arsenal in the here and now because their squad isn't as gifted. It's not as expensively assembled as the big six rivals, is it? So Arsenal have to do the rough stuff better than them. They have to dig in and be organised and be united. And and in Smith Rowe and Saka, on, on the sort of flanks, narrow wingers at the moment, that, that they've got those guys who set the who set the tone. But yeah, he's, he's got great talent. He drives at defenders. Sometimes players do that when they first burst onto the scene and then they start to play it safe. I'm not seeing that from him. I'm seeing a real desire to 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 beat a man and to, and to put defenders on the back foot, which is great. Yeah, fearless, talented, great finisher, as we've seen of late, scoring goals. So... Yeah, Emil Smith-Rowe, if he maintains the current standards, will be impossible for Gareth Southgate to leave out of the England squad, in my opinion, because you can't have enough players that are adaptable like him, driven like him, that have a goal threat like him in in those wide positions. Can I can I also say just quickly, as um, just on a slight tangent, just talk about and uh, Ramsdale because I get I think on previous pods I've said you know what what's he doing there why have Arsenal even looked at him what's <laughs> what's going on but he he has proven I think ninety ninety five ninety seven percent of people wrong just in terms of how he's now kind of become a leader at the back and a great personality as well but also he has proven decisive in the games with his saves and decision making so. I, I've been so impressed with him and I thought it was worth a mention just because I think in the past, I, I'm, not, I'm not alone of course, but just, you know, did question his, his signing, but he, he's done he's done so well. Yeah, I went to the uh, Wenger film premiere recently, which is a great night by the way, good to see a few, a few old faces, everyone was there, but so Arsene was there, Arteta was there, Vinay, lots of representation and, and one thing that really sort of stood out from the film from Arsene Wenger's point of view, was the unity of the team, and that's definitely improving under Arteta, but also retaining the English core values. Now, I'm not obsessed about Englishness or or having... You've got to have a certain amount of Englishmen in the team, but but I, I do feel that with the great Arsenal teams of the past and this potentially strong Arsenal side, it is a core value to have Ramsdale... Ben White, Saka and Smith-Rowe as nailed-on starters, high-personality players within the group. It feels like it matters to Arsenal with the, with the sort of technical brilliance around them, hopefully, is, is what they're looking to to build. So, yeah, I, I think that those four players are very... Those four players are giving Arsenal fans as much optimism as the results. I genuinely believe that. And I think they're behind the team in part because those four are becoming shining lights. And personally, I love to see it. Mm. Chelsea have got a much more cosmopolitan squad, haven't they, Rich? They're at Leicester on Saturday in the BT Sport game. I think it's 15 different scorers in the Premier League. 
But you still can't get away from the fact that Lukaku is probably going to be the key to their season. Yeah, he has to be. You know, with, with the price tag that 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 they brought him from Inter, he's going to have to be decisive. You know, I guess he he, he you know, it was a good start. Just one in his debut. But as you say, in, in, when when it gets into those into those really key games, it, I'm, I'm talking about in that Christmas period and when the season in those decisive matches. You're looking for your number nine to to be the decisive man, and that's what Chelsea will hope Lukaku will be. But the fact that, as you say, they do have 15 different goal scorers, if he is to kind of go on a bad run of form, you're not going to be worried that they're going to be lacking goals because they are scoring goals from all over the pitch. And I've been really impressed by that this season. Brendan Rodgers is still being strongly linked with a move to Manchester United next summer. Now, OK, international breaks, we all know, they're traditional time for rumours. Um, you know, we've had reports about Zidane... It's come around to the idea that he might succeed Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. What sort of credibility do you give it? You'd give a to all this speculation. Yeah, it's coming round to the idea of managing one of the world's biggest clubs. You know, on, on as, on as a favour, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. as a favour to the Glazers. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I do think Zidane's got the, the, the credibility to be Manchester United manager, but that, that lack of English. I, uh, I did hear recently he barely speaks a word still of English. That is an issue. And, and and he's never really shown that much interest in the Premier League before, has he? So I don't know about Zidane going there. Maybe Rodgers would be more likely. I, look, <laughs> Manchester United do need a new manager. Their season will just amble along with un- Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I think to make the progress that they need to make, they, they do need to make a change. But if they can't get that person till the end of the season, I suppose they, they may well just just allow the team to amble on until May. I don't know. But but Rogers has got to be in the frame, isn't it? I, I do think I think I believe Brendan Rogers is twice as good a manager as Solskjaer, genuinely. I, I just think he he would he could handle the gig. He did it at Liverpool, handled big... Think about the players that he's handled and, 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 and got to thrive under his management. Suarez, difficult character, was sensational, wasn't he, under under his leadership. Gerard had some amazing years towards the end of his career. Jamie Vardy, a, a big personality, big big ego, and, and they get on like a house on fire, don't they? I, I feel that he could be just as good a man-manager as Solskjaer, but five times the tactician. So it's kind of, I'm kind of in the camp of, of what are they waiting for in terms of making an approach. But I know that he loves it at Leicester. And yeah, having left Celtic in the lurch, he will be reticent, I would imagine, to to, to do that again mid-season. So it might be a case of, yeah, in the summer, if he was to be tempted. Yeah, well, we all know what's going to happen, don't we, Rich? If... There's another struggle to win at, at this time at Watford on Saturday. There'll be whispers and moans. There'll be more players presumably taking Dean Henderson's example and thinking, well, I've got to look after number one here. Uh, I, I need to be out of the door. Really, you know, we've talked about in, in this podcast, haven't we? You know, three new guys coming in during the break. We're now into the meat of the domestic and European club season. Do we have to 
conclude that Manchester United have squandered their best chance of a smooth succession? I think so. I think it's a really good question. And I, I, I do kind of have to agree with that, especially as you say smooth succession, because the international break is always a good time to to change and allow a manager, uh, you know, two weeks of, of, of full training before matches start again. And if you look at the United squad as well, you know, quite a few players did pull out of their respective international camps as well. So it would have been a great opportunity to get a new manager in, have his time to, you know, embed his style of play and, and philosophy on the squad. And you know, Conte was, was right there. It still almost beggars belief as to why that decision wasn't made. But as as I said, sticking with Solskjaer and I think it's just a case of ambling on to the end of the season. As long as they do get top four and, and stay in the Champions League, then it might be a case of doing that and then looking to regroup in the summer. But, you know, it's a, it's a long season. It's still a lot of football to be played and there's no guarantee that although United have talented players in the squad, you know, as you say, tactically, are just so far off it. And as you say, there's four or five managers who are better than Solskjaer in that regard in the league. So it's a big risk that they're taking just to kind of say, okay, let's just get Champions League and regroup in the summer because there's no guarantee that they will do that. And if they don't, it will it will be a disaster and an even bigger rebuild moving forward. How bad does it need to get for Manchester United to employ a former Liverpool manager <laughs> at the old Trafford hot seat. I mean, that can't have happened too many times in the past. But the fact that he's he's very high on the on the list, Brendan Rodgers, to replace Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I think tells you tells you how desperate how desperate they might be to bring the good times back. Because yeah, he's a good man, is Ollie, but I just don't see United progressing at the rate they need to under him they need an elite head coach and 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 he is not an elite head coach yeah well where we are it's it's essentially football's equivalent of chinese water torture drip 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 doubts linger problems remain positions are taken pretty much game by game it's interesting united's wage bill might have increased, I think, by 23% in what we'll probably end up referring to as the second coming of Ronaldo. The club, though, is still making money for absentee owners. Despite the suggestion from outgoing executive Ed Woodward that what happens on the pitch is most important, the profit motive seems to protect Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, for the time being at least. Pretty short-sighted, if you ask me. What do you think? please let me know. And in the meantime, thanks to Richard and Adrian for their insight. And thank you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast. <laughs>